We're in a series called Direction. Anybody enjoying this series besides me? I, I, I really am getting some, some good stuff out of this series. Um, the, the premise of the series is that God has some specific direction for our life that when we apply his direction, instead of listening to our own direction, we end up at the destination where he desires us to be rather, down, rather than down the detour that we often take ourselves. And so we've been applying the, the truths of God's word uh, to different areas of our life. And today I want to uh, speak on, um, uh, on an interesting topic, uh, an, a topic that I think affects everybody, and that's the issue of conflict and how do we resolve conflict in our lives. Um, I want to start with one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite passages that I just love. Uh, and the context of this passage is you got the two biggest heavyweights of the first century church, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. And there's a conflict because the Apostle Paul is preaching a, a gospel that goes something like this. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus who died, was buried and rose again. And when you put your faith in him, you receive his righteousness and he takes your sin. End of story. Let's go have some lunch. That was his, that was his message to the early church. Peter had the same message, but Peter wasn't always living it out. Peter was living it out when he was around people like you and me, people who did not have a, a, a Jewish background, at least I don't, that I know of. Uh, but a lot of Gentiles, uh, he was preaching this message to them, and, and he was preaching the same message. But then when his more Orthodox Jewish brothers would come down from Jerusalem, the Scripture teaches us that Peter would kind of withdraw, you know, from the riffraff, and, uh, and then he would, like, try to, try to, you know, live this different life in front of his Jewish brothers and sisters. And the Apostle Paul, this really upset him. We talked about this as we were studying Galatians. It really upset him because he's trying to, he's trying to preach a gospel and he's trying to advance the mission of Jesus. And so is Peter, but Peter's kind of conflicted. Peter's kind of torn. And so the Apostle Paul in Galatians tells us, this is a very short scripture, but I just love it. He says this. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, he says, I opposed him to his face. One of my favorite scriptures. He's just like, I went and confronted Peter to his face. This is a guy that was walking with Jesus, that was a leader in the church. And what I also love about it is that it demonstrates that even though you've got the two biggest spiritual heavyweights on the planet happening at the same time, there's always potential for conflict, even with these very, both very spiritual men and so the question is not like, will you experience conflict in your life? It's how do you experience conflict in your life? So I just want to preach for a few minutes today, very practical sermon on how Christians do conflict. How Christians do conflict. All right, is that okay if I preach a little bit on that today? We have to learn to fight right. That was my alternative sermon title. How to fight right. Uh, because even though... Even though Paul and Peter loved God with all their heart, they loved the people that they were serving, they loved the mission, they still sometimes would, you know, get into a rub with somebody else. Um, when my wife and I, before we got married, when we were just engaged, let me just tell you, we loved each other very much. We, we wanted to be together. We desired to be together. I had known my wife since she was a teenager and, and, and since she was 18. And we grew up and, you know, f you know, a few years later, 
several years later, uh, we, we got together. We started dating. And we wanted to be together so bad, but we just didn't see eye to eye on anything at that time when we were engaged. We, she and I talked about this this weekend. She said I could, I could just riff. So, so you know, she's, don't let her come up and get the mic. Can, uh, hey, Greg, make sure she doesn't get up those steps and get the mic. Okay. Um, no, we, we wanted to be together. We desired to, to be together, but we, we thought we knew each other. We didn't know each other as well as we thought we did. And so early on in our relationship, before we got married, while we were engaged, it's like, man, we're already getting ready to get married. But every time we get together, there was some kind of conflict. And it, it wasn't big. They, there weren't like big conflicts, right? They were small conflicts. But how many of you know, like a bunch of small conflicts can add up to something big. And it got to be where like we would just, <laughs> we would just look at each other like, I love you, but like, why do we keep fighting? Like, why do we keep struggling like this, you know? And, and we, could not, we could not figure it out. And we tried. You know, we were trying everything. We just, we just didn't know how to not fight. And so finally, I started to realize, like, I'm going to lose the woman that I really love if I don't start to figure out how to do conflict better. You know, a lot of times when you get in a relationship, you learn about just how selfish you, you are. Come on, men. The men should be saying some amens to them. No, we, we, learn, about, we learn about ourselves because we have somebody reflecting back to us. And it's not just marriage. I'm talking friendship. If you're in intimate relationship with anybody, uh, you start to learn some stuff about yourself. So I picked up a book because I said, I got to figure this out. And I found a book by a guy named John Gottman. And the book was called Why Marriages Succeed or Fail. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go deep dive into this book, right? And I'm going to figure it out. And what I discovered is that the premise of the book is basically like every relationship, it rises or falls on how well people resolve conflict. Because conflict is inevitable in every relationship. But how do you resolve conflict? How do you handle conflict? That's going to determine everything else because you're going to see, you're going to see things differently with respect to money, friendship, family, where to live, job. You're going to see things differently on almost every area of life at some point. So how do you resolve that? Well, unbeknownst to me, my wife had picked up a book by the same author. Uh, and it had most of the same material, but hers had a better title. It was like Seven, Habit, Seven Habits of a Happy Marriage or something like that. It was a little more chipper. Mine was had a little doom and gloom on it. But anyway, we both didn't know it, but we were both reading this book about conflict because we both realized, like, we got to figure this thing out. And we started going to premarital counseling. We started going to premarital classes. And over time, we started to go, oh, I understand. I see. I get where you're coming from. And it, over time, we, we actually began to get along. And it was amazing. By the time we got married, a lot of people in their first year of marriage can be really tough. Ours was not tough at all. Ours was easy. And I think it was because we were both just exhausted from the engaged, for the year-long engagement. We are like, look, I just love you. I'm not going to fight. I'm just going to enjoy you. Right. Um, but, but we learned a lot through that process. And actually, the, the, the conflict that we experienced made us understand each other better down the road. And here's the reality for you and me. I, I, I wonder today how many of you, don't raise your hand, sorry, keep your hand down. I wonder if you, how many of you long and desire to have a healthy relationship with somebody, but it keeps getting clouded by conflict? I wonder. You, you want to do the right thing. You want to, to love them and serve them well, but it's clouded by conflict. And maybe it's not marriage for some of you. Maybe it's your, your, at your job. You know, you actually want to pursue, uh, uh, you know, your career and you're pur pursuing it to the best of your ability, but there's conflict in the office 
or there's conflict on the job, or you got a boss that you just cannot stand, or you got an employee that you don't know how to deal with, right? And it's just, it grates you, and, it, and, it, and it's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. I'm so bad with conflict that, like, I can't stand sustained conflict. I like conflict to be resolved quickly. If I don't, it stresses me out. It just stresses me. I don't know if, it, that, if, if any of you are like that, but, like, I just, if it's ongoing, I get cold sores. You guys, anybody get cold sores? Two, one, three. I lost everybody else. They're like, dude, I had you. You were with me. But I like, it's so stressed out. Like I can't take to be in conflict for long periods of time. I, I think some people, some people, maybe it's not job, maybe it's not marriage, but you know, Thanksgiving's coming up and you're going to be around some family that you're not normally around, you know, and you know that you got some family members who, mm, you know, you know, they're going to say something. Something's going to come up at the dinner table. They're going to either start talking politics, right? Or somebody's going to, somebody's going to bring up Kanye West's new album, and then the family's going to split down the middle. We support. We detract. No. You know, right? There's going to be some, con and even as you are thinking about these relationships that you're in, you know that conflicts are going to arise, right? You know this. And so you and I are always going to face conflict. I began to wonder, and, and, and when Rebecca and I were kind of working through it early on in our relationship, we were like, why? Why are we always in, why are we always in conflict? Like, what is actually the root cause? So I want to I do a little mental exercise. You guys are not going to have to volunteer anything or anything like that. But I want to do a mental exercise with you. I want you to think about the most recent conflict that you've been in. A recent conflict, a recent argument, a recent dispute. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe it happened on the way to church. You're still kind of steaming, right? Um, I want you to think about it, and then I want you to think about what caused it, okay? Now, don't point at anybody, and don't, don't be like, they, he caused, she, right? Just think about what caused it, because we, what we learn from the Scripture is that every dispute, every argument, every quarrel has the same source. In fact, in the, in the letter that James wrote to the early Christians, he asked this question. He said, what causes fights? And quarrels among you? He asked that question. Why, why do we fight? Why is there conflict between people? I mean, because he knows, like any two people, you get Cain and Abel, you got conflict. I mean, the first, I mean, Adam and Eve, you got conflict. Any two people, put them in a room, there's going to be conflict. You're right? And sometimes if you're just by yourself, you're conflicted inside, right? Like, I'm mad at myself right now, right? So it's, conflict is just completely inevitable. James says, why? Why do we do this? And then he gives the answer. And I love his answer. He says, don't these quarrels and fights, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. I love what he's saying, and it's, it's deceptively simple, but what he's saying is this, that the source of every dispute is unfulfilled desire. I want you to think about this. Every dispute is because you are not getting something that you want. And it might be a legitimate desire. It might be an illegitimate desire. But it, it, it might be that you want him or her to say this or do that, and they're not doing this or saying that. It might be that you want to, feel, to be made to feel safe or to be seen, and you don't feel safe or seen. It may be that you want to feel respected or you want to feel important or, some, or you just want to feel known, and you're not getting that. And so there's a dispute. There's conflict. Uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter is a great example, legitimate desires. Paul wanted Peter to preach the gospel like they had been taught. 
right? And Peter wanted to do that too, but Peter also wanted to be respected by his peers. And he was afraid that if he kept, you know, just preaching the gospel and living the Christian life, that his peers would come down and they would start to look down on him. So there was a desire that was unfulfilled and that leads to conflict. So unless you have the ability to turn off all desires and never desire anything else for the rest of your life, you are going to experience conflict because desires are not always fulfilled. You will not always get what you want in life. The good things, the bad things, the legit things, the illegitimate things. You will not always get them, so you will always experience, you will always experience conflict in your life. So the question has to be, how do we do conflict? How do Christians do conflict? Because different people have different strategies. One of the strategies that I've seen, and, and you've probably seen, I'm confident that you've seen, that people use in conflict is just simply to attack, right? Somebody rubs you the wrong way, or you rub somebody else the wrong way, and bang, they are on you. It's like a slash and burn. They're going to they're gonna just tear you up one side and down the other because they are so... Adver- they are so averse to conflict that they, they would rather just destroy the person that they're in relationship with than resolve the conflict amicably. I, I had a boss like this at one point, and uh, I'm not going to even hint at years or anything like that, but I had a boss one time that one of my friends said to me about this boss, working for him is a well-tread path out the door because everybody who had worked for him basically left. They left the company because this person, the only way that they could... The only way they could resolve conflict was to destroy the person with whom they were in conflict. And eventually, you're going to do something that he doesn't like, and so he's going to come after you. So unless you have this incredible capacity to handle and withstand, you know, uh, toxic relationships and abuse, then you're going to leave, right? And, and that's one of the ways that, that, that people respond to conflict. That's one of the strategies is to attack. The problem, obviously, is that you end up destroying every relationship that you're in, Right? You end up, if you're, if you're an attacker, you end up actually destroying the very thing that you want the most, right? So you, you attack and you destroy. So, so many people are adverse to this, and we don't want this. We don't want to experience this. We've seen how toxic it is in our life that we employ the exact, what we believe to be the opposite strategy, and that is simply to avoid conflict. Do we have any conflict avoiders in the house today? Come on. Come on, conflict avoiders. There's no conflict here. You just... So most of us, I think a lot of us, are kind of like, look, I would just rather not say anything. I would just rather just kind of let this one slide on by and just skim on by because I don't want to disrupt the apple cart. I don't want things to go haywire. And so I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers, right? The problem is that's just another way to, over the long haul, destroy the relationship. It's not as quick. It's not as, it's, it's not as invasive. But it's just as toxic because if you avoid conflict that needs to be addressed, then you're going to carry resentment inside of you and it's just going to burn nice and slow for a long time. And then suddenly you're going to be at the dinner table and you're just going to pop off with something and everybody's going to go, what happened to her? What happened to him? Everything was going fine, right? But but you've been allowing this to, to brew for a long time and then suddenly you're just going to say something that you didn't mean to say. Or you're simply just going to back away from a relationship. Intimacy dissolves. Trust dissolves when you fail to, to address conflict, right? And so you're, it's, not as, it's not quite as toxic, but it's, it's, it's going to get there eventually. You're going to destroy the relationship if you do not uh, uh, address the conflict. So if we don't attack and if we don't avoid, what do we do? 
What's, what's, what does Jesus teach us about conflict? And I love this scripture in Matthew. He says this, and it's deceptively simple. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Go and tell him. This is, this is, this is conflict 101. Resolution 101. If somebody does something to you that insults you, offends you, harms you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That means this is first century language. Don't put him on blast on Instagram, okay? But go talk to the person. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. In other words, conflict can actually strengthen a relationship because conflict provides an opportunity for you to go deeper with somebody and address an issue that needs to be addressed with that person. And you might go from friendship to brotherhood or sisterhood because you are willing to address a conflict that if you didn't address would destroy the relationship. But if you do address it appropriately, it could build the relationship. You will have gained, he said, a brother. So if we're not to attack and we're not to avoid, I think what Jesus is saying here is we engage. This is, the, this is how Christians do conflict, or at least the, the subtitle should be how Christians should do conflict. I'm not sure that we're that great at it as followers of Jesus across the globe, this church excluded. Amen, somebody like we're good at this. So, so Jesus is teaching us that, that the, the only way to really, really work out conflict is to engage it, to go towards it. And, and what I want to do today, and I, and I pray that this is useful to you, I want to give you very practical steps that will guide you through conflict resolution for your marriage, for your job, for your friendships, for your work at your school. And, and these are God, this is God's direction for you, for your life to get you from where you are to where he wants you to go. And here's, we're just going to walk straight through it. Okay. So take notes. All right. Number one is this, check your heart. Okay. This is number one. Before you go and engage in conflict with somebody, you need to you need to see what's going on in your own heart. You need to, because the, the reality is a lot of times if we go to address conflict and we're carrying any bit of malice or envy or jealousy or, or, or any kind of spiritual malady in our heart, it's going to, it's going to interfere with our ability to, to engage in conflict in a meaningful way with somebody else. All right. Uh, I went and got my, a year, a year ago, I always go every year and get my, uh, get my physical. And I asked the doctor, I said, doc, I, I want to check I want to actually check my, my physical heart because um, I have family that had some, some heart history. So I'm, I'm interested in knowing how my heart's doing. He said, well, I'm sure it's doing fine. Your levels are good. You're healthy and all that kind of stuff. I said, but I'd like to see. I'd like to actually see. So he, he, uh, he said, there is a test you can do. It's a coronary scan. You can go and get it checked out. I said, I want to sign up for that because I want to see what's going on in there. Now, here's the reality. The thing that I wanted them to look for is the thing that I didn't want them to find. You understand? I, I mean, if it's there, I want them to find it, but if it's not, you know, but I don't want it to be there, right? And so we went, we got the scan. I checked out really good. I felt really healthy. I felt like a, they're like, you have a heart of a 17-year-old. I said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, right? But spiritually, spiritually, we have stuff in our heart that we carry with us, and it's going to affect the way that we interact with somebody else. And the scripture says you got to you really got to check your heart before you go engage in conflict with somebody else, or you're going to make it worse, you're going to make the conflict actually worse. In fact, the scripture says this. If we claim to be without sin, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. Apostle Paul said, look, I'm the chief of sinners. So he didn't come after Peter with this self-righteousness. He came after Peter going, bro, 
I've got stuff in my life too. I'm calling you out on something, but not because I'm so great. He said, I'm the chief of sinners, and so I need to come. I'm going to come to you after I've always already acknowledged my, my sin, right? So before you engage in conflict, this is, the very, this is the very essence of it. Check your heart. What's going on in there? Because that's going to affect the way you handle the conflict. After you've checked your heart, step two is to own your part in the conflict. I hate to admit this. I hate to admit this. But 99.9% of the time, there are two people who have some responsibility in the conflict. Now, I don't like to admit this because I'm actually an expert at being able to point out other people's issues. Like I am down on a granular level. I can articulate your stuff really well. But I don't really feel so happy about saying, and actually I'm kind of partly to blame too, right? Because here's the problem. If I say that, if I say, hey man, you know what, actually, that's partly, that's partly me. That's, I'm my bad. And then you don't apologize to me for your bad. Okay, now I'm out here hung to dry, and I'm feeling like, oh, man, I, now it looks like it's all my fault. And really, my fault is only 17.3% of this problem, and the rest belongs to you and the devil. And so why did I have to come with my, right? But Jesus said this. He said, look, here's, here's how he said about own your part. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a massive four by eight in your own eyeball. So it's not that, it's not that there isn't something wrong with the other person. It's 99.9% of the time you both got a little something going on. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, nope, what me? Nope, no, no. Look what he says. He says, you hypocrite. Next line. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's not don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's like take the, own your own thing, own your part, so that you can help somebody else own their part. You with me this morning, somebody? So you check your heart, you own your part, and then listen to this one. You listen to learn. You listen to learn. This is another hard one because I used to be a, I used to be a litigator. I used to be a lawyer. And the way we listen, we listen to rebut. Some of y'all do that too. You're listening. You're listening so that you can gain ammunition so that when you say what you're going to say, you're going to use their words against them. Boom, you just won, right? Some of you, I mean, right? Some, somebody said preach. Come on. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. So that's what I would do as a lawyer. I wasn't, learn, I wasn't listening to see, you know, to try to really understand the nuances of what's going on in your world. I was listening so that I would have ammunition to turn around and say, well, but listen, judge, did you hear what they said about this? Boom, right? That's good for the courtroom. That's not so good for the bedroom, brothers and sisters, okay? Don't, don't use that technique when you're in an argument with somebody you love because you can win a fight, lose a friend, just like that, right? If you're trying to listen to win, you're going to lose. Let me just tell you, you're just going to lose. So listen to learn because what you're going to find out is that most of the time, and I see this as a pastor, there's what's being said, and then there's the thing underneath what's being said. Because what she really wants, or what he really wants, is to be heard or respected or honored or noticed. And so they're saying this, but underneath that, there's a desire. If you listen well enough, you'll start to pick that up. And you start to go, oh, this person isn't just a mean, malicious, rude jerk. This is a person who longs for something that they're not getting. I don't know if I can give it, but at least I, I can learn about what it is, right? Here's the scripture on this. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Literally, take note of this. 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And it's in that order. That's why after we listen to learn, then and only then, step number four, do we speak our mind. Speak your mind is step number four. Now, I know people love this part. They actually want to skip steps one through and three. And like, I'll tell him, I'll give him a piece of my mind, right? But, but really, this is important, but only after you've done one, two, and three. After you've only checked, after you've checked your heart, you've owned your part, you listen to learn. Then at some point you need to say, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. And this is where a lot of people that are, uh, that are avoidant, conflict avoidant, they never get to this step. And they go, you know what, I'll just swallow it. I'll just sit on it. I'll just eat it. I'll just carry it, right? But if you don't speak your mind, then you will, you, it will just grow inside of you. It, it'll just, you. Eventually, you have to say it. But the way you say it, the tone with which you say it, the attitude with which you say it makes all the difference. The scripture says this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes the truth stings a little bit. Sometimes the truth hurts a little bit. But if you're doing it out of love, if you're doing it to bring, to bring healing, sometimes, you know, sometimes surgery hurts. Sometimes surgery causes a wound. Are you with me this morning? But, but it's important. It's valuable. Every one, of us needs peop- every one of us needs people in our lives who know that the door is open for them to speak honestly and candidly and openly into our lives. Right? To where we're not going to be defensive. We're not going to attack. We're not going to avoid. We're going to hear what they have to say. Because by definition, you cannot see your blind spots. Your husband, your wife cannot see their blind spots. Your friend, your boss, your nobody. So you need to have people in your life who can say, hey, I want to touch base with you on something. I want to have a conversation with you on something. And you end up having an engaged conversation with somebody. And if, it, if you're doing it well... It actually builds a brother. It builds a sister, right? So the wounds of a friend. Number five is this. No matter what, free your grip. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is no matter how it turns out, no matter whether it resolves or not, no matter whether you get the apology that you desire, at some point you have to release, you have to forgive, you have to let go of whatever it is that that has caused you offense, and, and, I, and I don't say this lightly, okay? I say this, I say this because I, I know that every single person in here has been hurt or harmed or wounded in some way or another, some in very dramatic and deep ways, some in lighter ways, and yet you still, you know, you still carry it. And what I would say to you is this. At some point in your life, preferably today, at 11:16, and I'm going to wrap this up quickly. At some point in your life, you have to release it. You have to forgive the person who harmed you. You don't, have to, you don't have to go to their house and have dinner. You don't have to be their friends on Facebook. But you do have to forgive. Because if you do not forgive, the forgiveness will drag you down. It will burden you. It will weigh you down. It will become toxic in your heart and in your life. And it will destroy you if you do not forgive those who have harmed you. Are you with me, somebody? This is, this is, if you don't get anything else, get this. Somebody today needs to forgive. And I don't even, they don't even have to know you forgave them. You don't have to contact them. You can just forgive them right here, right now, privately before God. Release them, right? Here's what the scripture says. Get rid. Get rid of it. All bitterness, all rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as 
just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, you got some forgiveness. You received some forgiveness at some point in your life. And God is calling each of you to allow forgiveness to trickle out of you to somebody else. Not necessarily for their benefit, okay? But it will destroy you if you do not forgive. If you get nothing else, please take that point home. Number six, we're almost there. Six is seek the peace if possible. Caveat, right? Not every person that you forgive, you don't have to invite them back into your life. Somebody who, somebody who has harmed you deeply and threatens to, to disrupt your life, you don't have to keep them in your orbit. Okay? Some people don't forgive because they're afraid that to forgive means I got to bring them back into my life where they can wreak havoc. That's not what the scripture teaches. You can forgive and release. I forgive and release. I forgive you from afar. I forgive you from a different state. All right? I forgive you all the way across the planet. I don't, you don't have to be in harmony and in reconciled to every single human being that you forgive. Okay? In fact, sometimes that's not the right thing to do. Sometimes it's much more healthy to say, I forgive you and hasta luego. We don't, right? That's it. Right? In fact, here's, I love how it says in Romans, it says, if it is possible, comma, as far as it depends on you, comma, live at peace with everyone. Now, there are some, obviously, in this statement, uh, it's clear that sometimes it's not possible and sometimes it doesn't depend on you. Right? But there, but, but to the extent that it's possible and it depends on you, live in peace. Because most, most grievances are small. And by forgiving and releasing, then you can re-engage in community with somebody. If it's, if it's harmful and detrimental, let go and let God. Amen, somebody? All right, last point is this. Number seven, no matter what, no matter what, stay on mission. Stay on mission. The best way to work through conflict is to be so focused on the mission and the vision that God has for your life that you don't have time for petty squabbles and beefs with other people because you're pursuing something greater. Your, your, your desire is God's destiny, right? You're not just worried about what you want. You're worried about what God wants. In fact, God, God is calling a people like us to pursue a destiny that he has for us. In fact, I want to give you one more scripture and I'm going to close. He says, it says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And this is amazing. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. He actually gave us the message and the mission of bringing reconciliation and hope and restoration to this city, to this planet, to this world. It says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That means we're not so much worried about our desires, we're worried about his desires. Because we're serving on behalf of him. We're serving. Heaven has, 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 has given us a mission and a vision to pursue. It's God's desires that we're after. We're his ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Can I just tell you that as a community, as a family, as a church community, we have been given a mission that is so beautiful and so powerful and so transformative that if we get it, I'm telling you people, nothing can stop what God will do through a group of people who say, God, I'm on mission to reconcile the world, to bring people and God together in love in this city, to make us one. This is Jesus' prayer, that they, might be, that they might become one, Father, even as you and I are one. To reconcile people to God and reconcile people to each other. 
that will take you out of the petty squabbles and, and grievances that you may carry and you may bear. And it'll put you on a path towards the destiny that God has for you. Would you all stand with me this, this morning? I'm going to close in prayer. I just want, I just pray that each and every one of you, I pray that this is practically applicable for you in your personal life. But I also pray that you get a picture of what God really wants for us as a people. Because what he really wants is to, is to bring this community, to bring this city together under God, in Christ, as one, brothers and sisters. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be his ambassadors and his emissaries for that vision and that mission. So let's stay on mission. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the power of what you present to us in your scripture. God, I pray that it would, it would just sink into our heart, that it would nourish us, strengthen us, and that it would lead us and guide us, transform us into the men and women, into the church family, into the community that you've called us to be. Let us be world changers for you. Let us stay on mission. Let us pursue what you've called us to pursue and bring the hope, the love, the mercy, and the grace that you've called us to bring. All in honor of you, all in praise of you, and all to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.